I didn't mm. think. Check one, two. We're good. Check three, four. I'm not playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Emily, so you, you oh, speak at conferences, no. and you have writers come up to you and people that want to be writers, and you just have just a couple seconds to talk to them, and, and this writer comes up to you and says, um, oh, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm, I'm trying to do Twitter, and I'm trying to blog, and I'm trying to do all these things. Maybe a new writer who wants to have a growing writing career, what would be the one thing that you'd say, you know what, just do this one thing. Just focus on this for a little while. Hmm, great question. That could be really helpful if no matter how confusing things felt, you could always go back and say, I just need to make sure I at least get this one thing right. Well, if you don't have your one thing yet, maybe by the end of this half hour, you will. Welcome to Episode 4 of Season 2 of the Hope Writer Podcast. Whether you're a dreamer, a beginner, a longtime blogger, future author, or already published, if you want your writing to give others hope, we want to give you hope. Welcome home. This episode, what's your one thing? What's the most important thing for you to get right as a writer? Is it writing skill, a certain social media, your platform, your niche? Writing today comes with a lot of choices and expectations. It's easy to get lost and overwhelmed. And it's great to have one thing most important for you to keep you on course for your goals. It can be different for everyone. And in this episode, we'll each share our one most important thing to help you think about yours. The Hope Writer Podcast is brought to you by Hope Writers, an online membership community for writers of hope. We started Hope Writers because we know the writing life can be lonely and overwhelming, and you can begin to get relief right now. You can go inside Hope Writers for a week for $1. Just visit hopewriters.com slash trial to join Hope Writers for a week for a buck. That's hopewriters.com slash trial. Your hosts on the podcast and at Hope Writers are sisters and authors Emily P. Freeman and Michael and Smith. They've blogged for 10 years and written a bunch of books. Marketing and tech guru Brian Dixon, he also writes books. And I'm Gary Moreland, Michael and Emily's dad, and my first book will be in bookstores next summer. In the previous episode of the Hope Writer Podcast, we gave you a filter a value system to look at all the options and expectations that are part of your writing life. It can be so complicated with so many choices and so many best practices, so many industry standards, so many things it seems like you're supposed to do and so many ways to do them. Well, the Hope Writer way is a mindset to help you calmly focus on your calling. That's episode three of season two, the previous episode, You Might Be a Hope Writer If... In this episode, what's your one thing, one most important thing in your writing? One thing you want to make sure you get right. It's different for each of us. It's something you have to decide for yourself. And we're all going to answer that question that Brian asked at the beginning and share our one thing, starting with Emily. Well, I have had people come up and say that to me. <laughs> and the, the thing that comes to mind in this moment is if someone's feeling super scattered like that, I would say focus on serving your reader. That is where I would have to start because that's where I always have to come back to is who is my reader and what does she need? If I'm just wanting to write like in my journal or like on my own or become a better writer, that's that I would give a different answer because it kind of depends on what your goal is of what's your one thing. Yeah. But if it's that person you're talking about who wants to have a writing career, wants to maybe write books or write in some way that someone would read it, I would say everything has to go through the filter of... How will this serve my reader? And, well, that's one thing. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh -oh. But I guess it, it has to, 
it's important to think about not just like serving your reader, but serving your reader within your own giftedness and what you mm-hmm. feel called to share. Because we've also, Michael and I joke about all the time, years ago we were at a conference together and oh, a woman, we, we've talked about, we've talked about this, this on the podcast, podcast but a woman was asking, and, and it was a valid question. She wanted to grow her readership. That right. word readership is the, the readership. I mean, it's people ask that and I, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> but really what they're asking is, I feel like I have something to say. I feel like I have something to share and I want more people to read it. And that's perfectly legitimate. I think we all would agree with that. But her question was like, I have this blog. It was about something, I don't remember, food, let's just say. I don't remember what it was about. But she said, but I had this one post I wrote on exercise, running, and it got a lot of traction. So should I write about running? And the answer, it lies within you, within her. Not Mm -hmm. anybody on the outside couldn't say like, well, yeah, you should write about running because that's what everybody wants to read from you. But like, if she doesn't want to write about running, even if she would get a million people to read her stuff about running, it wouldn't matter because mm-hmm. that's not her thing. So, oh my gosh. It's the dryer. <laughs> How long will that go? You probably can't hear it through Something's the mic. Something's stuck in it? It doesn't hurt anything. No, it's fine. Um, life. It's telling us it's done. <laughs> it's, I'm really I'm done. I'm really done. Four weeks Come later. on, I'm done. Open me <laughs> up. I already told if you. If you don't fold have that, the what happens is oh, they get wrinkly. Get stank clothes. Oh, oh, you wish. <laughs> oh, no, is that the, that's the washer? That's the dryer. Well, they both do that. I have them both oh. said to tell me. Because if I leave my clothes in the dryer too long, then they get wrinkly, and then oh. i got to do them all over again. We have oh, stopped yeah. caring about wrinkles in this house. Soon the clothes oh, yeah. come out of the dryer and be like, I told you I was done. They're slapping. And they stank <laughs> it up. Shames you. <laughs> so you're, you're saying that she shouldn't write about running because she doesn't want to write about running for a long time. I'm saying that when, you, when I say serve a reader, I mean serve a reader within the stuff you want to talk about. But don't, it's like, we can't let our readers boss us into doing something that we don't feel called to. So that's like not what I'm saying. I think people would know that. But that's good. Within what you feel called to share, work hard not to let other things dictate how you do what you do. Mm -hmm. Whether that's the expectations of an industry, whether that is your own strange expectation of where you should be by now, or your definition of success. I would say if your number one thing is, how can I serve my reader? What does she need that I can offer? I think you're going to be in a way healthier, more happy place in your writing. I mean, and that's a bigger conversation about like, who's your reader and like figuring out the, what they call it, the ideal avatar, like you're, you know, I think people get really overwhelmed by that. Some advice that I heard was that uh, it it regards to being a missionary. And when you apply to be a missionary, mission agencies look for somebody who's already a missionary. If you're going to be a missionary, you're already a missionary in your local community. And I think in the same way, if you want to serve your reader, look at who is already asking you for advice. People in your own life who are like texting you and saying, hey, what do you think about this? And I think you can kind of lean into that and go, okay, I'm going to serve people that are already looking to me for service and instead of trying to find out something completely right. brand new. Right. That makes you know? sense. And just yeah. do that, but do that more publicly on a place where other people can, can read it. And when you write, you only write to one person. And that helps too. It's sort of like part B of my one thing. I think those <laughs> one, are three things now. <laughs> one part C is, yeah, it's one person though. And that, and that helps me because I remember when I was writing a book for teenage girls and I'd already written one book for like grown up people. And then in my second book was a similar message, but for a teen audience. And I thought, oh, this can be great because they're so young. And it was really hard. 
And the reason why it was really hard was, imagine yourself walking to a room filled with 15-year-old girls. Do you want to die as much as I do? Like, just the <laughs> idea of writing to this group of 15-year-olds who are like, hey, with their eyes. <laughs> By the way, I just rolled my eyes That's for so all good. of you who couldn't you see can, me. You could feel it. <laughs> yeah. And I... And I was sort of paralyzed a little bit, but then I remembered, wait a minute, nobody reads in a group, they read by themselves, yippee! Judging eyes as they're reading. Yeah, I was so (laughs) glad to remember, I'm just writing to Brandy, I'm just writing to Melissa, I'm not writing to, like, a sorority house. That's an excellent point. It really eased my... It eased my own because when you're when I'm reading by myself, you know, it's like it's just me and the author. I'm not thinking about like all the other people who she's also talking to. So that helps, too, as a writer. It helps to it's just like this is just a conversation and this is one person I'm going to serve. So it helps to know who that person is. You wouldn't think Mm -hmm. that would work. You would think that, well, what about all the? that's only one person? What about all the people that are different than that person? But it does work. It does work. It does end up that it feels more personal. And even though a person may not be exactly like the person you have in mind. They can, it still relates better for some reason. Okay, so an exercise, I, actually, I literally did this three nights ago. I was at CVS or Walgreens printing pictures for my son for a project. And as I was there, I was waiting for the pictures to download or something. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to print some pictures of my reader. And so I went on my Facebook page <laughs> and I found... This is I, getting creepy. <laughs> and I found about 20 people. Um, and I'm like, I want to write to that person. Like, that's somebody who already asked me for advice. And I'm already serving them through text and sometimes through what I write on Facebook. And you can picture them because you kind of know them. Yeah. And I know, yeah. I mean, I know them. We've had conversations. And I printed about 20 pictures and of them, of people I actually know. And now when I go, okay, what am I going to talk about today? Or what am I going to write about? I kind of flip through the photos and I go, oh, I'm going to write to him today. Like, this is what I'm going to talk about because I know what he's going through and what he needs to learn. You're only picking one though. One at a time. It's the same thing as when you tell a story that's really personal to you. You think the more, we think the more detailed we get, the less people are going to relate because it's your story. But in fact, the opposite is true. Yeah. That the more personal you make it, the more generally it applies to everyone. And it's because people are smart and they know that, okay, that's her details. But when you tell the details of your thing and of your story, stuff comes out that is universal, yeah. that everyone feels and experiences, even if it was in a different way. And so they can apply it. We apply it to ourselves. Right. Each individual one is still applying it to themselves. Because that's what we do. We, yeah. we think about ourselves and we think about our own lives and how that applies. Michael, what about you? What's your one thing you would say to somebody if they mm. said, I'm so overwhelmed, I've got so much to do, and you'd say, just slow down and do this one thing. <laughs> this is so totally you. Oh, I love this one. I'm so excited <laughs> about it. I'm going to read something. I had to crack open she's my book. She's taking notes. Oh, she's oh, got a book. What's the book? I do have a book. Well, I will tell you. So my one thing comes from the great deep thinker, Steve Martin, who right. says, <laughs> nobody ever takes my advice because it's not the answer they want to hear. But when people ask him, you know, how do I get an agent? How do I get in a script? Blah, blah, blah. He says, I always tell them, be so good they can't ignore you, which is the name of this book by Cal Ripken. No. Cal Ripken? <laughs> Who's he? He's Cal a sports Newport. guy. Baltimore Orioles shortstop. Okay. Cal, Cal Newport. Newport <laughs> deep work. Oh. Who is a deep thinker. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so that's my thing is quit worrying about like Facebook and Twitter until you're really good at what you're whatever it is that you're doing. Give yourself the time to get really good at something. 
And even in the book, he talks about the difference. It's not necessarily about what you're passionate about, but it's about what you're really good at, what you're the expert in, what you're so good at that you get attention for. And I think we all have something like that. And we underestimate how valuable that is. And we underestimate the attention that that would naturally bring us if we just keep doing really great work. So if you're just really good at writing a blog, if you're really good at Instagram posts, if you're really good at Facebook lives, I would encourage you just to really continue to do that really, really well for three or four months to the exclusion of other things at times, just to perfect your craft. I read an article the other day, and I cannot remember. I'm sitting here trying to remember where I read it. I think it was an agent who said people always ask, how do I find an agent? And the answer was, you don't. An agent finds you. Because you're so good, they can't ignore you. Amen. So if you're a writer, though, too, then the part that being so good at could be, it might be the area that that you write about, your particular perspective on something, or it might be like your particular skill that you have and how you say something. Well, if you're a writer... Hopefully it's your writing that's so good they can't ignore it. But I feel like, especially in this day and age, there's so many things that writers are supposed to do that we, even if we're a good writer, we sometimes don't give ourselves the time to commit to our writing or the space because we have this list in the back of our head of a thousand other things, the headshot, the changing my Twitter account, the email marketing, which are all so great. But if you don't have the great writing there, none of that will matter when it comes to hoping to get your writing out there. Well, I think with your story, you started using Instagram and then you had a book coming out and then you started using Instagram more and you saw the power of Instagram and like you just got better at Instagram because you started using it more. Like it's sort of like the old 10,000 hour rule. Like you've got to really focus and, and practice and get used to using something to a point where you actually become an expert because you've been using it for so long because you have experience. Yeah. But first came the writing. Like first came mm. the blog, the space on the internet of writing for years. And then you built on that. I mean, I'm speaking for you, but we're able to build on that because this other thing got good. And I think we were so lucky back then in the 2007s. 2007 and (laughs) 8. Yep. Because we didn't have 100,000 other things that we felt like we had to do. And it protected us. And we had time to become decent writers. Yeah. Can I say that? I mean, I feel like it forced me to have the time just to get to write. There were less choices choices to have to be pulling you in different directions. And pressures, Mm -hmm. no other pressures as much. Yeah, I mean, even for you, not just the writing, like the putting words together, but the thinking about, for example, you write about house stuff, thinking about home and finding your voice in the area that you wanted to write about it without having to feel pulled in all these different areas of, oh, well, I should be on Facebook Live and I should be, you know, doing all these things. You just got to keep writing in your area on the platform that you were used to and comfortable with and you got to get really comfortable with that platform which is blogging yes without having to learn new things and then sometimes I feel like if I feel like I'm not coming back to that and if I've kind of lost that whole idea of being so good they can't ignore you because I'm distracted by other things that's always a red flag for me I'm I have a lot of compassion for writers who are starting out now because I've heard a lot of writers say there's so much I don't know the word there's just it's a crowded space yeah and because anybody can and sometimes anybody does so it feels like you have to work harder to sort of make any traction right but part of that too is 
because we are we're like a mile wide and an inch deep with all of the different platforms and ways that you can do stuff, that means that we have to be the ones to decide which thing am I going to focus on because people might love you and they might support you, but you're the only one who can say no for yourself and no one else is going to say no for you. And sometimes that means saying no to good things so you can focus on the best things, but it can be hard to know what are the best things. And that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> I agree with you. But the one thing that I would, um, maybe it's just a different way to look at it. Like you, you quote a Cal Newport, you know, Cal does not blog. He's not on social media. He's a professor. He writes books. So he does one thing. And he, he writes books and he goes really deep. His, his most recent work is called Deep Work. And I think in the, in the same way, it's really, it's really easy for us to have what they call it, chronological snobbery, for us to look back and go, oh, it used to be so easy and now it's so hard. But I think that is true, but, but the inverse is also true, which is now because it's so easy, it's also, there's so many people that are now paying attention. There's so many people on Instagram. Uh, there's so, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and I said, this is amazing, like we build online courses. This market is absolutely amazing. There, there, never in the history of the world have more people been taking online courses. Now is the best time to create an online course. And I, and I, continually, I continually talk to people that say, oh, well, there's already a course about this and there's already a course about this. But guess what? There's 10 times more people taking online courses. Just make sure yours is awesome. You know, now it's just, you just have to raise the bar for yourself because yes, it's a crowded market. So you, you need to have your stuff at a higher level, but there's a bigger audience available. And so if you took that same thinking and applied it to sports or being a musician, you know, oh, well, there's so many bands out there that I can't come out with a record and nobody's going to find my song. No, if your song's awesome, people will find it and more people will buy it, more people listen. I think it's, it's just a growing market. It's, it's more of a mentality of scarcity versus uh, generosity. I wasn't saying that it was easier back then because no one was doing it. I was uh-huh. saying as the person doing it, have you seen those checklists? 40 things to do after you publish a blog post. Yes. Number one, there are more, yeah. the checklists get longer and the longer. Checklist I love way, checklists. The checklist about, is way longer it's than not it about used how many be. people are doing it there's zero like level of entry anyone can do it you're right and i right. agree with you i think there are more distractions as the writer now mm-hmm. that it's harder to know what's important to do i was disagreeing with the idea that you not you but people listening i think feel like they have to do all of it yeah they do. or they're throwing up their hands and they're saying oh it's also overwhelming i can't be an expert at everything that's what right. we're saying don't yes. be an expert at everything exactly, exactly. pick one thing mm-hmm. and just because there's a lot of people on whatever that one thing is just because there's a lot of people don't use that as an excuse for you not to start exactly what was yours again what were the words you used for yours your one thing be, be so, so good be so they good can't they can't ignore, ignore you, you. Mm-hmm. see when i think of you that way and I know we're talking about writing, and this is related to writing, but we were over here, we, you did your uh, cozy minimalist course. Right. And when you, did, when you were putting that together, I, did the, I helped record the sound. So Brian's on one end doing stuff, and I'm on the... I'm, it took a village. Like, <laughs> you're, you're at different locations, right? Yeah, we were at different Megan locations. Megan was here. Right, Megan was here. So I set up the sound here. The first day that Michael and uh, started, she had four parts of the course, I think, when we first started. First day that she did it, you had all these notes because uh, you wanted to be prepared. Right. By the fourth day, there was a page with a couple of lines on it reminding her. And I sat here and listened. And as I listened to what you said, I was in awe. I was highly impressed that you were so zoned in on what you wanted to do, what you believed about it, what you had learned about it, 
what had to be done in, in what order in order to do things. And it was like you had a mantras like, don't hang your... Don't start your art until your drapes are hung correctly. Okay. Oh, I have sung that in my sleep. Okay. Don't start that's, your art until your drapes are hung correctly. That's an example of being so awesome that you can't be ignored. But it wasn't writing. It was something else. But because you were so awesome in the thing that you were doing and in how you felt about it and in what you had to say about it and in how you said it, because you were so awesome in that, when you write, it's the same thing. So the awesomeness didn't begin with the writing. The awesomeness began with something inside you. Writing is just a way that it comes out. And I think what Brian said about the 10,000 hours, just giving yourself the time to learn how to do it the way you want to do it. Well, and I'm just... I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Kanye. I'm gonna hear what y'all say, but <laughs> I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you finish. But uh, I'm pulling Kanye. Drop the beat. <laughs> Don't start your audience. <laughs> it's all hung together, yo. <laughs> oh, um, what you said, Brian, is about the whole like romanticizing the past, and it was so much easier. Just a side note for any writer who feels like I just wanna. I wish we could write in the woods like in the olden days when they just wrote in the cabin and then you just gave it to a publisher and then a year later your book is on the shelf and that's your job. And I have to say, I'm going to go on record and say, I am so excited to be a writer in 2016. Totally agree. Because we get to talk directly and interact directly with our reader today, like in this moment. I would so much rather that and have that direct contact Whenever I want, at whatever level, however often, I I have such a better feel for who my reader is than I ever would if I were writing in a cabin in the woods. So I am so thankful and that let that be an encouragement that the more into the future we get, the better I feel like it's going to be for us as writers because we have all this, for lack of a better word, control. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. such a gift, in my opinion, that we get to have that interaction with our readers. And how many Hemingways and Steinbecks are there that no one ever got to hear of because even though they were Hemingway and Steinbeck, they just were not able to make that one connection that was necessary for it to be made for you to actually end up being published. And they had no other options and no one ever heard of them. I mean, do we really believe that the most awesome authors just happened to also be published and that there were some awesome authors and just for whatever reason it didn't get, it didn't get out there? If they had had other options, literary world might be much richer if these days today yeah, had true. been around a lot longer. So this is an awesome time that we're living in. I think I'm beating a dead horse because I totally agree with you. But I feel like because of 2016, which is so awesome, we jump the gun and feel like we have to be all those places before we have something great yeah. to say. Great there's to a, say. There's yep. a discipline. Totally. There's a discipline to it. I think that's why Hope Writers is important, quite honestly, yeah. is because we remind each other not to put the car before the horse. <laughs> what is the yeah. horse analogy? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm picturing Kanye and a horse now. We're not supposed to use cliches when you're... I know, it's hard. I can cut them out when I'm writing, but when I'm speaking, they just Just, roll off the tongue. Just say... (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, okay. What do they say? Like, you can't read your own label. Like, you have to have somebody else read your label. And and Mike Lynn, your label is saying to me, the thing that you're really good at is, like, you have this really high filter that you see the world through and 
I, I've got a little quote here. Frustration is the fuel that propels you through the challenges when your idealism runs out. And I think you have this sort of frustration with certain things and the way people do certain things. We all do. Right? We do. And But you're really in tune with that. And so you can use that frustration as a filter. And you mm. go, oh, all these people are doing it this way. But the right way, the right way to hang your drapes is this. Or the right way to look at Instagram is this. Or the right way to balance your your writing in your life is this. Mm. And, and you've leaned into that. And so that's not a place of pessimism. That's a place of mm. clarity. Yeah. And I think beginning writers don't have, they don't lean into their frustration. They try to follow other people's yes. vision for their lives. And instead, I think you lean into the what's frustrating you about the world and the way it's not and try to make it more like the way it should be. And that's the thing you write about. That's the thing you encourage people about. And I think that's where your voice comes from. And going back to Emily, what you said, that's how you serve your reader is by saying, here, like there's all this stuff out there, but the thing you should focus on is this. And that's your voice to your reader. And that's what serves them. Because on, on the other side of your frustration is your reader's point of pain. Hmm. And so if you're frustrated about everybody thinks they have to do all these things and you know that they don't, the reader still thinks, I have to do all these things. Or the writer, in our case, thinks, mm -hmm. I have to do all these things. And you know that they don't. So when we have, I hope. think we have to pay attention to our frustrations because they're going to propel yes. us to have a stronger voice. So what's your one thing? Oh, it's so out of left field. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I can't am wait. so excited for this. Okay. So the last thing I want you to do is give up on your writing. Really. I, the last thing I want you to do is work so hard on this book idea and then put it in the drawer and give up and just go back, you know, go back to the job or go, you know, just give up on that dream. I think that's so sad. What's the what's the cliched quote of, you know, people going to their graves with their song still in their, you know, yeah. the song on song. Uh -huh. Okay. That would be a tragedy. And, you know, I'm on I'm on the receiving end of, of emails for, you know, for clients that I work with. And the, the ones that make me the saddest is when somebody gives up on what they were trying to pursue, whether they want a refund on a course or they're canceling a membership or they're not coming to an event that we're working with because they're saying ah, it, it's too overwhelming and I'm too frustrated and I'm giving up. And the number one reason they give up on their dream is because of money. The number one reason they give up on uh, pursuing their calling, I believe, is because of the revenue model, because they can't figure out a way to make it work. And so they see their dream as competing with their life. They see their dream as competing with their bills and their mm -hmm. other commitments in their life. And so my number one thing that I would recommend that you do, again, out of left field, is that you make offers. You make offers to your readers. You tell your readers about stuff you're excited about, and you include a link that gives you a little affiliate commission. And the reason I think that's a really important thing, even when you're just starting out, is because that money starts to add up. And so when you look at your, um, your website hosting fee, it's no longer a burden, it's already covered. And there's this joy yeah. in knowing that your pursuit of dream yeah. is actually fueling, is funding your life. Mm. And, and I've had so many conversations with, with bloggers and, and authors as they've gotten started, and they were able to send their kids to private school, or they're able to pay off their car, or they're able to upgrade their wardrobe, or go on vacation, whatever their thing is, because they pursued their dream. Mm. And that, 
I think is the real dream is being able to live your dream and it not compete with the realities of life. And most people give up on that. Most people think I have to have a job and writing is just a side thing. And it yes. doesn't have to be. And the trick is making an offer. And here's what I mean by that. Find a couple tools that you love. So for example, uh, we're starting to use something called ConvertKit, which is an email marketing program. You can actually get a free trial, hopewriters.com slash ConvertKit. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. You're modeling it right now. <laughs> yes, right now. <laughs> and it's $29 a month. And if you click through our link, we get 30% of that $29. Okay? So think about that. If you start using ConvertKit, just just by being a writer, just by being a blogger and being a writer, but every once in a while you tell your readers, hey, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a blogger, you should use this tool and click on this link and I get a little commission. Those commissions add up. They start to add up over time. Think about that. $10 a month by somebody signing up for something you recommended. A month. That starts to add up. And you can do this with whether it's essential oils or whether it's website hosting or whether it's a conference you're going to anyway. Um, you know, this is one of the ways I got started. I was going to a conference and they had a bonus deal that uh, if you got a friend to sign up, they sent you a check for $500. And it, I was like, are you kidding me? And I got a friend to sign up and they sent me a check for $500. <laughs> wow. And my friend loved the conference. Sure. I was going anyway. Yeah. It was better because I went with my friend mm -hmm. and I got paid. It helped everybody. It helped everybody. And so you can do that even if you have, you know, 10 people that follow you right now, you can make offers by sharing things that you're passionate about and excited about and get a little funding uh, as, a, as a return, a little affiliate commission, and those commissions really start to add up. And just imagine your blog moves from being a burden to actually being a blessing because you start to check your PayPal and all of a sudden there's a couple hundred dollars in there. And it's, it's really, really empowering. Some of us have some funny feelings about money, I think, too, you know, that it's an excuse or it's, right. a, I mean, it's a reason that you don't do something. Yeah. Or is it an excuse? Well, my dad would say, he's a, he's a preacher, and so he says, uh, an excuse is a reason wrapped up in a lie. That was one of those things he said when I was growing up. And I think an excuse is, yeah, there's truth to the excuse, but there's also things that aren't really true that you're adding up. You're kind of wrapping it in this. And so I think the excuse of, well, I don't want to... Don't want to make money or whatever. You know what? What I'm saying is make an offer by serving your audience. If you're serving your audience. So sure. for example, you know, if you teach people how to do home projects, well, give them the link to purchase the stuff that you're actually talking about on your blog. You're helping them. You're helping them by giving them the link. And guess what? You get a little affiliate commission it, when somebody clicks on the link. It doesn't mean you're greedy. Mm -mm. It doesn't mean you're trying to scam people. It doesn't mean you're taking advantage of people. You're just trying to have it be a win-win for everybody. You've probably heard a lot of different people say, or maybe I have anyway, the first dollar that they made doing something that they love changed their whole perspective on what they were doing. That's amazing. When they realized, you mean I could get paid for doing something I love? This is the next podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. The one thing is to make is to make offers and, and not be afraid to send out an email and say, hey, there's this great course. I just took it. It's really good. So start there. Look at the course that you just took recently. Email them or, or go on their website. See if they have an affiliate, affiliate link and get the affiliate link and then send an email to your, your blog readers and say, hey, I just finished this really great course 
and you should take it because it's really good. Here are three things I learned from it. Here's one thing I don't like about it. And, uh, but here's why you should get it. And if they click on it, you get a little commission and it starts to add up and think about it. You could pay for your enrollment in that course. If they had a 25% affiliate commission, you could get, um, you could pay for your own enrollment by having four people sign up. And so it's no longer a burden. It mm. becomes a blessing. Mm-hmm. I like that. Right. I do too. It validates awesome. your I don't time. think it's left field. No, not it at all. It makes sense coming Center from field. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and listen, if you, Brian, if you make an offer and if you, Emily, which is me, and you serve your reader. I like that. I became a verb. And then you in <laughs> the nester by being so good they can't ignore you. Mm. Those are three really great things to focus on in whatever ways those are going to come out. And now Gary's going to bring it all together. What's yours? <laughs> Actually, I had the same one that uh, we didn't talk about uh, what we were going to say. We didn't. Each of us were I didn't say. know. Yeah. So that means this one is double valuable. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Twice as important as the other ones mentioned. This one, and that was what Emily was talking about at the beginning. Oh, and so bring it back around like Seinfeld. (laughs) That who are you talking to? Who are you trying to help? What do you have to say to help them? I mean, that's going to influence not only how you do something, but which form you pick to talk to them because you're going to be asking yourself, what do they like? Do they like audio? Do they like uh, reading? Do they like video? You're always going to be asking yourself that. Now, the thing is, you can't really understand that right away it's probably a journey that takes days weeks months maybe years i mean for me it's like taking years to know who i'm talking to and what i want to say to them but once you know that and you own that it makes a bazillion other decisions for you and makes life much simpler on what you're going to do or what you're not going to do well the beauty of today is we can ask people like we can ask our readers that we have. I like I have this newsletter I send out once a month or I used to do it once a month. I still do it once a month now. But for a while, I considered maybe I want to send this out twice a month because they're kind of long. Like I like to share books I'm reading because people like to there's certain aspects of it that people ask for and look for. And I like sharing, but it got kind of long. And so I asked people, I was like, oh, I think I think I'm going to split this up into two because then there's then it's twice a month and it's, you know, and I asked and overwhelmingly, they preferred the one and just have it be longer because then they can control when they read it. You or wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known that. Right. But then I got so it's like, oh, phew, I only have to do one. <laughs> it was so relieving yeah. that. And wow. it's like if you're if you're a reader isn't on Twitter, really, then then maybe that's not where you want to hang out. Maybe find out are they where where are they and then go there. But it can be really life giving to realize that the things that I don't like to do are also the things my readers don't care about. Yippee. <laughs> What's your one most important thing? Well, another way to help you clarify that could be to join Hope Writers, a whole community of writers on the same journey you're on. Writers who get it, who've been there, and who can help you, and some who are there now and need your help. Go inside Hope Writers right now for $1 for a week at hopewriters.com slash trial. If you love to write, there's something for you inside Hope Writers. Be a better writer, help with marketing and your platform, find your voice and your niche, write better blog posts, all kinds of help with your book writing and dreams, and the Hope Writer Facebook group. It's a super community where you ask questions, make friends, and get encouragement to grow your confidence and ditch that anxiety that comes with your writing dreams. Go inside Hope Writers now now for a week for one dollar just go to hopewriters.com slash trial we'd love to connect with you inside in the next episode of the hope writer podcast how we make money writing 
Wouldn't it be great if you could start bringing in just a few dollars to help pay some of the costs of your writing? Or maybe you're hoping for a part-time or full-time income from writing, like Emily and Michaelin. Well, we'll look at different ways your writing can bring income, ways to start small and grow, and we'll share what we do. Maybe you'll hear something perfect for you. That's the next episode of the Hope Writer Podcast, How We Make Money Writing. And some final words of hope from writer Thomas Carlyle. Do the duty which lies nearest to you, and the second duty will then become clearer. Thanks for listening.